Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. So I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries, your summer stories. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real, your summer story series. This is our eighth podcast. True crime podcast tragic Sky Jones finds herself in her element as she chats to Caroline Graham and Kylie Stevenson about their novel Larimer, the thrilling true crime novel that grew from the podcast series Lost in Larimer. Thanks so much for making the time to do this with us this morning. This is part of our Newcastle Library's summer reading program. So we feature seven different titles across all different genres. We were really excited to get your book. I loved the podcast. So put my hand up straight away to get the proof and, and read it. And I really, really enjoyed it. So I'm really looking forward to having a chat. Oh, thank, oh, thank you. you so much. That's so nice of you. I spent a little bit of time in the NT in the late 90s. Certainly didn't cover the sort of case that you two do in this book, um, but had a real affection for, even in Darwin, just the, the difference of the place. And certainly it takes a special kind of person to live in Larimer. I thought maybe we'd start out by asking a bit about about Paddy and why you found him so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kylie, do you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So I went, first went down to Larimer in 2016 and I spent two weeks there on a writing retreat courtesy of the NT Writer Centre. And in that time, I met Paddy Moriarty um, as well as a lot of other people in town. So I was already pretty invested in the town and found it pretty interesting and everyone who lived there just had these incredible stories and there was this amazing war history that I felt was just kind of largely not known. Um, So I was kind of working on a project, um, probably a podcast, uh, on the town itself and then Paddy went missing. So that sort of became uh, the whole project, I guess, became a bit more urgent. When I first listened to the podcast and started reading the book, Paddy seemed like a, a pretty easygoing larrikin as he's often described but as it goes on Paddy becomes a much more complicated character I I thought it was really interesting that each of you were really able to maintain what seems in the book a really genuine affection for him even as sort of the walls come crumbling down on the stories about Paddy it can't have been easy yeah it's a really difficult thing I think we were both really intimately aware that there's a responsibility in trying to tell the story of someone who who isn't here and who isn't in a position to advocate for themselves um and I think we at times felt quite conflicted about what parts of Patty's past we had a right to kind of pull up to the surface, but also feeling like having started the project that we, we had a commitment to, to tell the truth and to kind of chase down all the leads we could find. So you're right, he was a really complicated person. It's potentially true that most people, I think, if you started looking into them would be complicated, um, but I think maybe as a as a result of the places he'd lived and the kind of life that he'd lived, those those complications might have manifested in quite different and, and peculiar ways as well. Um, 
yeah, so it's it's definitely something we feel conflicted about even now. And it's, it's I mean, I know that, that Kylie met Patty, but for me it's a relationship that I've had with someone who, you know, it's been entirely in their absence as well and there's a huge responsibility that comes with that. Yeah, I can see that. I think something I really loved in the way that you bookended the book with the, well, it starts off as a Mark Twain quote about truth and lies and then becomes a quote attributed to lots of different people towards the end. I thought that was really beautiful because the way that the story plays out, it's that was a really clever way to frame that narrative. I figure we should talk Pie Wars. Seems to be essential in the story of Larimer. I wondered if there was any real proof that Fran was the first person in the Territory to make a pie. Um... No, there's no real proof of that. Um, Like a lot of things in the book, there's not a lot of (laughs) evidence. No, but I mean, she probably was one of the first, if not the first, to to be making buffalo and camel pies and things that were a bit more unusual. And certainly it is what she's known for. People know her as someone who's done that, not just in her own tea house, but at various um, other uh, roadhouses and, and little restaurants and stuff around the top end. So yeah, she does kind of have a bit of a, what can you say, some ownership over pies in the territory and certainly in Larimer. I think she does have, mm. yeah. And popping them on waffles too. Did you get brave enough to actually try one? No. <laughs> <laughs> we were always at her place early in the morning and it's just not the right time to eat camel on a waffle, is it? Like, <laughs> is there ever a right time? <laughs> I think definitely after 11am. We might have deliberately gone there before midday so that we could get away with a scone, which is much much safer often, I think. (laughs) Just while we're talking about the different characters in getting ready to talk to you today, I went online and had a bit of a look at reviews of Fran's Tea House and the Pink Panther while Barry owned it, which there's some pretty scathing online reviews. I'm, I'm sure you both wrote those. Um, but I also noticed that Cookie's house is still for sale. Has there been any movement on that? Is, is he? I thought the um, the tree element in the middle of the lounge room was striking. Yeah, it is actually, it's a beautiful, I mean, it's an old um, railway cottage. So there's a lot of history in the house and he's done it up really beautifully. But I think he's, yeah, I mean, I don't know to what extent that's kind of a location issue, but also with COVID, it's been, I think, quite difficult to get people through there. So he's still really hopeful um, he'll be able to sell up and move back down to Tassie is his plan at this stage. What is the current population number for Arima? Um, we were just we were there down. last weekend. We did oh, a great. count. Can you remember? I think 10. <laughs> 10. Yeah, about 10. It's sort of hovered around 10 for a long time now. I liked the description that you used about this book being a love letter to a town, but I sort of felt like it was a love letter to remote Australia, to the places that Australians are really, really happy exist, but very few of us actually want to live in them. And it, it really sets, I think... You can feel the heat. You could feel the sweat running down your back in a lot of these places. Brilliantly done. I was particularly interested in Paddy's time in Daily Waters. The fact that he seemed to have a quite a similar feud with the pub owners there as he had with Fran. Paddy seems to be the kind of guy that either really likes you or really doesn't. The stories that his friends had all seem to point in the same direction, but then when you flesh them out, there's not, there's nowhere to go with them. Again, in relation to him being 
a kind of complicated guy, the stories that you learnt along the way were just fantastic. The holding up passengers on tourist buses with fake guns. <laughs> it must have been great to be two friends travelling around enjoying all these yarns together. I mean, yeah, it honestly really time. was. Yeah. Um, and I think it's sort of the strange tension of this that in some ways this is the side of probably something that is a substantial trauma, but at the same time, I mean, when you say it's a love letter to, to remote Australia and to the outback, it absolutely is. And... We were just over and over again, just blown away by how generous people we, you know, were with us, that we would call people up and that they would come back with dozens of phone numbers for us to call. There was kind of no, no level of trouble that people wouldn't go to to help us. Every house we turned up at, we were immediately offered a cup of tea and you'd sit down, you'd barely even be you know, <laughs> taking your first sip before people were just telling you these extraordinary stories. Yeah, it was it was honestly a pleasure to be out in those places with someone who would, was the mate. Yeah. People would go out of their way as well to just show us around their town, you know, like mm. we were looking for um, a couple of different people in Tennant Creek and this guy that we met um, just said, look, I'll take you. And he jumped in the car with us. We drove around town. Like he said, oh, can I just drop these keys off at my mate's house? And we so we drove him there and then he'd take us over to show us someone else's house and introduce us to people. People are just so generous and genuine and and genuinely interesting. You know, also in Tennant Creek, we sort of were pointed in the direction of this man named Billy and we finally found him. It took us most of the day and we got there and he had he had no knowledge of Paddy or anything to do with Larimer or Brunette Downs, which was the place Paddy had worked at. But he, he, we stayed at his house for two hours and listened to him talking about his family history. He was actually related to Tom Nugent, who was kind of the Ned Kelly of the North. And, um, you know, that was two hours well spent. We, nothing was wasted. We just, we just had a great time meeting people. Tennant Creek was where I was going to go with that too because I thought your time in Tennant Creek was just amazing. There's, you're searching for these Tonys, people are jumping in and out of cars, they've got your phone number, you're heading to the polling booth. You know, it's, it's the image that a lot of people have of Tennant Creek is very different to the wonderfully friendly reception that you got as two people who knew nobody and a, a town that was really willing to accommodate you and try and help you in your search. I thought that was really excellent. I think that was something that's kind of, it runs parallel to the story of Paddy being so complex is that towns like Tennant Creek are very complex. They do have a lot of issues. There are troubles there and you can't deny that. And we couldn't write about the place without including that stuff. But at the same time, there are really good things there too. People have good hearts, people who are generous and interesting. And yeah, we were, we were really lucky to be able to meet those people and, and to see both sides of the town, because I think if you pass through Tennant Creek quickly, you would you would only see one one side of things quite easily. Create your own summer stories with Newcastle Libraries through our incredible collections, e-learning resources, and summer programs. Find out more at the Newcastle Libraries app or website. I was really quite enchanted by the idea of um, Brunette Downs as well. It sounds like just a magical kind of place. It was such magic. Um, and it's, I mean, the drive to Brunette Downs, you're just driving through Savannah country. It's just this long road with this sort of Mitchell grass, which is, you know, this cream coloured sea of 
of sameness for hours and hours and hours. And all of a sudden we arrive at this place with gorgeous bougainvillea and bright green lawns. And again, people were so kind. We were there just post the first COVID lockdowns and, you know, immediately invited us to stay overnight in the guest house, which had been stayed in by the queen, which was pretty (laughs) exciting. Um, You know, and it's just, it's, it's strange. Like it was the first station I'd ever been on actually, but I think weirdly as an Australian who's grown up with all of these kind of cultural references to those sorts of things, it also feels somehow familiar and it's, there's this huge nostalgia for me. And I think for a lot of people that had heard the podcast and are now reading the book for this kind of way of life that might be starting to slip away a little bit. And it was so lovely just to kind of step into that and be part of it for a few days. Yeah, I certainly felt like that too. And I've never been to an Outback station in my life. <laughs> I also really enjoyed the references and I'm going to mispronounce this and I've forgotten to make a note of the name of the town. Is it Burham? Burnham. 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 When they had put in like a false pub where the pub used to be and the parties that used to happen, the references to the way that at one stage the town did manage to work together for a common goal and to have some fun together. And then again, as we get towards the end of your book, we can see that there's hope for that. And, and I think really beautifully that the hope is coming from Fran's family. Her grandson, Brent, we, um, as I mentioned before, we went down there last weekend to take some books down and just say hello to everyone. And at one point we were sitting in Cookie's house, actually, and there were, I think, us two and four people from Larimer, Cookie's neighbour and a couple of other people, and they said, ah, a town of 11 people who hate each other. Look at us, half the town's here having a cup of tea. <laughs> And it's really true. I think, um, you know, some of the factions have have sort of ended as people have left town or passed away. And Brent being there, he is just such a vibrant young man and he's so enthusiastic about the future and about wanting to be part of Larimer and bring everyone together. And it's really nice to see. It's It's lovely, actually. And also a person who's invested in the history too and wants to both kind of preserve that history but also understands, you know, that changes have to be made with the way the world is going. I think he's balancing that, yeah, really beautifully. I wondered, why no photos? Ah, um, we did initially talk about putting photos in the book but as journalists we felt a bit conflicted about it because there were certain people we weren't able to get permission from oh, okay. to use the photos. So, yeah, we, in the end, we sort of decided against it. We felt like if people were interested in seeing the town and the people in the town, that it would be very easy for them to to find that themselves. I was actually quite overwhelmed by how much I could find online about this tiny, tiny little place and how it seems to have captured a special place in everyone's heart that's gone through it, whether it be because they couldn't get over the spiders in the toaster or whether they, they love the fact that they were there. It's, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I was just wondering how, when I watched um, a dog act, the pub really did look run down 
and I was wondering how it is, how it's looking now under the new management. So it's actually in the midst of quite a substantial renovation. Um, so it's a little bit hard to say what it's going to look like um, coming up, but I know that the new owner, Steve, yeah, is kind of substantially investing in um, upgrading the rooms. I think that's in the process at the moment um, and also the bar area itself. So um, it'll be interesting to see when we were last there, all of that construction was kind of in in progress. So it'll be interesting to see what it looks like. That's excellent too, isn't it? Because it's another example that it's not necessarily a dying town. There's people that are prepared to put money and hope into this tiny little place. Yeah. And I think Larimer is in a really um, strategically good spot for um, fracking, for example, if that goes ahead. So there's reason to invest in the town. Um, Yeah, there's certainly an incentive there for for a future that that could go ahead. Which is is a brilliant thing for I think all of us that want these little towns to exist and, and want to heap, keep hearing more quirky stories about the personalities that are able to call places like this home. Finally, I just wanted to ask about Fran. So towards the end of the podcast, we find that Fran is very sick and we know that Brent has taken over the tea house. Do we know how Fran is? Um, she's still not well, so she hasn't been able to return to Larimer. So, um, yeah, we're kind of waiting on updates at the moment, but I know that she hasn't been well. It's a very difficult thing, I assume, if you need to access healthcare and you live in a place that's so far removed from everything. Certainly that was highlighted with the chapter in relation to Barry, which having never met Barry, I, I still had tears rolling down my cheeks at the thought of you two going up and down the highway, being responsible for a man's life. That was just incredible. I can't imagine how that must have felt. And you've you've relayed that, I think, really beautifully. And the tyranny of distance for people who choose to live in a place like this, particularly with an ageing population. Yeah, it really brought it home for us what it is to live remotely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the case for a lot of those towns. I mean, so Mataranka, which is um, just north of Larimar, um, they have a clinic there. Um, but, you know, you kind of see through the news, like all of those clinics like are struggling for funding and for survival. Um, I think recently one of the the GPs in, in Catherine was kind of in a similar position. So, you know, when you've got so few health resources out there um there's a lot of pressure on kind of individual practices to to keep going as well um yeah it's it's a really difficult situation it's not really dissimilar to the police service though is it like when you describe the areas that the police are responsible for it's gobsmacking to someone who lives in urban australia it's just hard to believe that three men can be responsible for policing such an enormous tract of land and that they all seem to know everybody's names. Yeah, the Matter Anchor office, I think we worked it out, it's a, it's a land mass the size of Switzerland. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so they've had a couple of extra offices since we were there, but it's still a really small team and a, a very large area. Those sort of things in this just, just remind us all of how big a place the territory is and how sparsely populated most of it is. Why not dip your toes into your summer stories from Newcastle Libraries? Simply visit the Library Lounge on the Newcastle Libraries app or the website newcastle.nsw.gov.au slash library. I was wondering what each of you thought was your most memorable moment from your road trip. Hmm. 
There are things that are memorable for good and bad reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with the good. (laughs) I love going back to Larimer every time we go there, actually. And just the reception we get from people. They're so kind to us. And we consider it such a privilege that they're prepared to keep talking to us after all these years. You know, it's been three years of us turning up there and sort of asking questions and having conversations. And and they're also generous and, and willing to chat with us. So probably and one it's of such the an Sorry. endless well of stories too, like every time we're there. <laughs> Like we've, you know, finished the book and someone will pull out this great story and be like, where were you were hiding that all along? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, when we were there the other weekend, um, one of the residents, Bobby Roth was um, showing us their pet snake. They have a large pet python. And I said, oh, how long have you had it for? And she said 25 years. Um, she'd been given a clutch of eggs and they were all damaged and shriveled, so they didn't think there was anything inside them. She was working at the museum in Alice Springs at the time and thought, oh, I'll just take them home and I'll make some sort of display from these eggs. And then somehow they hatched and these snakes all came out and they were sort of all, um, some of them were sort of sliced a bit or, you know, weren't doing so well. She, she said she gave 25 snakes physiotherapy and managed to revive a bunch of them. And yeah, this isn't in the book because she hasn't told me that I've never heard this story before. It was incredible. It certainly seems to be a haven for animal lovers, Larimer. I was just astounded at um, Karen's enthusiasm for taking in all the animals from the back of the pub. I couldn't imagine having a purpose-built crocodile pond out the back of my place. It's... I have to tell you that Ray, the the Isla's crocodile, is so happy. He is living his best life in that crocodile palace. <laughs> um, we took him out a copy of the book too and he's autographed it with his teeth. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I'm sure all of our members are just going to love this book and we'll see what happens with our situation here in New South Wales and if we're able to get together at the start of the year to chat further. That would be lovely. Thanks for letting us drag you to Larimer with us. It was a pleasure to go with you. Thanks, ladies. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to your Summer Story series by Newcastle Libraries Real. Turn the page on our next podcast or go back to our original Your Summer Story season with authors like Trent Dalton, Craig Sylvie, Steve Conti, Tia Cooper and more. Thanks to Newcastle Libraries Real. Thanks for listening to Your Summer Stories from Newcastle Libraries. Why not take a dip and a sip, then rate and review us wherever you listen. 